with MorningOneChurch.tv. What's up? My name is Carlo. I get to be one of the teaching pastors here, and we are glad that you are with us. Again, shout out to everyone who's watching in the video venue, watching online around the world, or anyone who's here for the first time, our first time in a long time. Welcome. We're so glad that you are with us. We're continuing our It Starts With One series. We're answering this question, what does it mean to be the church, by looking through uh, the history of the church, the early church, as found in the book of Acts. And so last week we were in Acts chapter 3. We saw a man miraculously healed in that story, and we learned that your love and action could be the catalyst to someone else's life change, to someone's life change. This week we're going to talk about extraordinary prayer, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. We'll get there in a little while. There's one prayer that I pray more than any other prayer. It's brought me comfort in bad times. It's brought me encouragement. It's helped me deal with forgiveness issues. I've prayed this prayer at night when I was struggling to sleep. I've prayed this prayer uh, backstage before coming to speak in front of people, teach in front of people. This prayer has brought me through deployments, um, the loss of two children, the birth of children, all kinds of ups and downs of life. I've prayed this prayer with uh, consistency. I've prayed this prayer before counseling sessions. When that certain person comes walking down the hall and I know they want to ask me a question, I've prayed this prayer and it's given me uh, the strength that I need. It's not an elaborate prayer, um, but I think it's powerful. To call it simple would not do it justice. And, And the prayer is simply this, Lord Jesus, help me. That's the prayer. Lord, give me strength. Lord, save me. Sometimes I've prayed it with my eyes closed. Sometimes I've prayed it while rolling my eyes, but it's a powerful, powerful prayer. Lord, help me. Have you ever, have you ever prayed that? God, help me. God, save me. Some of you might have been praying that a couple weekends ago, hugging on to that nice porcelain God in your bathroom while you were throwing up saying, God, if you would just get me out of this, I'll never do it again, right? You know what I'm talking about. I'll never eat all that food. I'll never drink all that drink. God, if you get me out of this circumstance, I'll never do it again. We pray, God, save me all the time. Powerful prayer. Prayer is an amazing thing. I've read volumes on prayer. I've studied the systematic theology of prayer in Bible school and in seminary. I've been in all kinds of prayer meetings, short prayer meetings, long prayer meetings, prayer meetings that got so weird. I wish I could find the escape hatch from prayer meetings. Just prayer, prayer, prayer. It's it's been something I've over and over learned about, written about. And no matter how much I think I know about prayer, I often find myself asking the same question that the disciples and the apostles asked Jesus on the subject of prayer. Luke recorded it for us. The same Luke who records the book of Acts, he recorded it for us in in the first verse of, of Luke 11. And the apostles came to Jesus and they just asked him, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. And it's a fascinating question that they would ask that. I wonder why they would ask him that and not a different question. See, Luke was a a very detailed historian when he wrote the book of Acts, wrote the book of Luke, very detailed in all the information that he gives us. And he tells us uh, in Luke chapter 10 that these same disciples, 72 of them had just come back from a journey where they did great miracles in the name of Jesus. They saw people healed and, and just all kinds of fascinating things, demons that were cast out in the name of Jesus. These 72, they did that. It was fascinating. In Luke chapter 9, Luke tells us about 5,000 people who ate a big meal that started with some loaves of bread and some fish, right? Five loaves, two fish, and thousands were fed. Also in Luke chapter 9, there was an evil spirit that was cast out of a boy. 
The boy was possessed, spirit was cast out. In Luke chapter 9, if, if the, the 5,000 feeding wasn't enough, there's a, a tale in there where Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and two guys who'd been dead for a long time showed up, Moses and Elijah, and they had a little meeting on top of this mountain, and the apostles were witnesses to that. They saw it. They wrote about it. In Luke chapter 8, they're on the water, and a storm is happening, and they're freaking out, thinking they're going to die on the storm. And Jesus gets up, and what does he do? He tells the storm, shut up, and the storm gets calm. He doesn't say shut up, but work with me, right? He tells the storm, be quiet, and the storm is quiet. So they saw a storm quieted by Jesus' voice. They saw Moses and Elijah with Jesus. They saw the multitudes fed with just a little bit. They saw demons cast out. They saw the dead raised to life. And yet, by the time we get to Luke chapter 11, they don't ask, Lord, teach us to teach. Lord, teach us to draw crowds. Lord, teach us to raise the dead. Lord, teach us to heal. Lord, teach us to do miraculous. Lord, teach us to make money. What did they say? Lord, teach us to pray. They saw something in extraordinary prayer. They saw something in the prayer life of their teacher, their rabbi Jesus, that made them say, we think we know the source of this guy's power as he's communicating to God through prayer. And we'll see in Acts 4, it makes all of the difference. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes our perspective. There's a story of three boys who were uh, blindfolded and they were placed in this room with an elephant. And they were told to describe the elephant only using their sense of touch and their sense of smell. So the first child, he squeezed the elephant's massive legs and said, this is a huge, smelly tree, right? This is a huge tree. The other child grabbed the trunk of the elephant, again, only using touch and, and smell, and says, this is like a, a long rope, a wiry, a wiry cable maybe that smells kind of like peanuts and plants. And the third child yelled, you all are wrong. This is a smelly rope, because the third child was holding on to the elephant's tail. Perspective is everything. What one person feels as a trunk, the other person feels as a tail, and prayer gives us the proper perspective. See, that job that you lost could be a lost opportunity, or it could be the door opening to something better. The tragedy that you experienced could be the end of the road, or it could be the beginning of something even greater. That annoying coworker that you can't stand could be the spawn of Satan, or could be the very person God wants you to love. Back when you prayed, Lord, help me love people like you love people. Prayer changes everything, and extraordinary prayers change our perspective and help get us in the position to see what God is really doing and what God really wants for us. Extraordinary just means beyond what is usual, beyond what is ordinary, regular, or established. So when we talk about extraordinary prayer, we're not talking about now I lay me down to sleep prayers. We're not talking about thank you, Lord, for this food. We're not talking about just going through the motion. It's understanding that in this moment, I need something powerful. I need God to show up in a great way and help me. Extraordinary prayer changes your perspective. See, we can't reduce prayer to just the last thing we do when all else fails. We can't treat prayer like, well, I guess all we can do is pray. No, the most important thing we can do is pray. The most important thing we can do is talk to the one who has all of the power anyway. Communicating to God through extraordinary prayer gives us this proper placing to see what God's trying to do. And so our big idea today is this, and you've heard this big idea before. God honors extraordinary prayers because extraordinary prayers honor God. When we pray for something big,
powerful that only God can do. He honors those type of prayers. And we're going to see that lived out here in just a, a minute. My father was a physician assistant and he did a lot of house calls in our area. So I would drive with him as a kid. We would listen to the radio and my father loved conservative talk radio. And he would listen to this guy named Paul Harvey. And every time Paul Harvey got on, I would get fired up because he was such a great storyteller. Paul Harvey lured me in because he told stories backwards. He told the end of the story first And then he would fill in all the details. And when he was finished filling all the details, Paul Harvey would say, and now you have the rest of the story. And so I thought it was fitting, looking at Acts chapter 4, to start at the end. And let's read how this all concludes and then see what drove the apostles to this place. So let's start reading Acts chapter 4, verse 31. This is the end of Acts 4. It says this, After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness, and all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had, and the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. Sounds like they had a good time, right? Sounds like great things happened. Holy Spirit filled the place, the place shook, God blessed them, they were generous, they were kind. How did they get there? So let's rewind, go back to Acts 1, and we'll see how they got there. The first thing we see right off the bat is that extraordinary prayer flows from extreme circumstances. Extraordinary prayer flows from extreme circumstances. Let's read back in the beginning, Acts chapter 4, verse 1. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. So, extraordinary prayer flows from extreme circumstances. If you weren't here last week, you probably don't know the context of this, but for those of you who were here, you should have some alarm bells ringing in you. So Peter and John are speaking to the people. Well, we read that last week after this great miracle happened. Peter and John were on their way to pray, on their way to the temple, and they came across a man who'd been uh, disabled for a long time. He was begging for money. He asked them for some money. Peter and John said, we don't have any money, but we have some Jesus. We'll give you some Jesus. The man is healed, right? He's jumping all around. He's following them into the temple. And Peter and John turned to the crowd, and Peter begins to preach, why are you so amazed that Jesus is just doing what Jesus does? You guys remember that? Why are you shocked? This is what was prophesied. This is what was talked about. You guys rejected Jesus, but he's the one who did this. In the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And so Peter is in the middle of that sermon, the end of Acts chapter 3, and all of a sudden, there's a group of people who show up to confront them. It says there in Acts chapter 4, priests, captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees, they showed up and confronted them. Now, these are very, very important and powerful people. And Luke gave us these details because Luke wants to remind us that these are the same people who were there and hunted down Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and had him arrested and put him on trial and crucified him. So Luke wants us to know the same dudes who killed Jesus are now up in Peter and John's face confronting them. You with me? You following the story? This is an extreme circumstance. We read past this stuff because we don't live in this context, right? We don't deal with this kind of trouble, this kind of persecution. But when Peter's preaching and he sees roll up on him those guys, his mind would have instantly went back to that garden. Here we go again. Peter and John had seen how this story ends. How did that story end? 
with their master hanging on a tree, right? So this is not just a casual argument in the park. They had walked with Jesus for three years, and guess who they saw confront Jesus all the time in the temple area? These guys. So this is a common enemy, a consistent threat to them, confronting them, wanting to mess them up. And and we can't be surprised either as Christ followers when we encounter trials and trouble, often looking the same, often the same type of drama, the same type of trouble. You're going to sign up for FPU, and guess what's going to happen in your life? You're probably going to have some financial issues at first. You're going to have some temptations to go back to your old way at first. Your washing machine may break, right? You name it. You're trying to get close to Jesus in that one area, and all of a sudden you're going to be put to the test. That's a part of living in Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I have already overcome the world. These are extraordinary times that we live in. We've seen it, right, firsthand with disaster in our nation on a natural disaster level. And thank you so much for those of you who here locally have responded in word and deed. You've put last week's sermon into action to donate food and clothes and and stuff the truck and just all the great things that we've been doing. But these are hard times, right, tough times. In the last 24, 36 hours, we've lost three Fort Campbell soldiers to suicide in the last day, right? extraordinary times we live in that extreme circumstances that really the true thing that'll get us through is extraordinary prayer. Let's keep reading. Verse four says, but many of the people who heard their message believed it. So Peter and John are preaching. Many of those people believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled how many? 5,000. The next day, the council and all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there with Caiaphas, John John Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. And they brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? So extraordinary prayer flows out of extreme circumstances, and extraordinary prayer should always focus on Jesus should always focus on Jesus. Look at what they asked him. Again, Luke gives some details. He calls out names. Luke is like, for the record, you guys don't get to hide in the shadows. Here are the people who are confronting him. And they demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Who gave you the authority to preach what you're preaching and to perform the miracle that you performed? Names are powerful, right? My name is Carlo Antonio Serrano. I shared that name with my oldest son. Some of you know him as Tony, but he's really Carlo Antonio Serrano II. It's a unique name in some ways because I'm half Puerto Rican, and Puerto Ricans are usually Carlos. But my mom, in her infinite wisdom, said, I'm going to fool with this boy the rest of his life, so I'm going to give him an Italian first name. So she named me Carlo, Italian for Charles from the Germanic Carl, which means manly. I can dig that, right? That's, That's pretty cool. Thanks, Mom, even though you... Took the S off. At least you gave me a good name, right? Yet, no matter how many times I wear this name tag, how many times I write it down, how many times I introduce myself as Carlo, on Facebook it says Carlo Serrano. People still on Facebook, underneath where it says Carlo Serrano, will say, Happy birthday, Carlos. Thanks, Carlos. And I know that part of that's maybe the school system failing us. You know, we don't have 100% literacy rate yet in the United States. But I just, how hard could it be to just remember that that's my name? My wife's name is Jamie, and it's spelled very uniquely, J-A-E-M-I. You'd be amazed at how many people actually try to correct her when she spells her name. Don't you mean J-A-M-I-E? Like, the woman doesn't know how to spell her own name? Like, you're missing an S, right? No, it's Carlo. 
Serrano. It's frustrating when your name gets misused, right? When it gets mispronounced, when, it, when someone forgets your name. So if you ever see me, One Church, I love you. You know that I love you. If you ever see me and I'm just like, hey, what's up, guy? What's up, man? What's up, brother? Don't be offended. Be honored that I didn't disrespect you by forgetting your name, right? Wouldn't you be mad, Teresa, if I called you James, right? You don't want that happening. So I just say, hey, sister, how are you, right? Hey, friend. I would never say sister, by the way. Hey, friend, right? Because names are powerful. We don't want our names to be misused. We don't want our names to be abused. Has your name ever been abused? Maybe you've had your identity stolen, or someone has said that you said something that you know you didn't say. They've used your name improperly. There's something powerful about a name, and Luke's giving us this detail. Remember, he talked about this in chapter 3 last week. Luke is going on and on about the name of Jesus because it's powerful. The name of Jesus is not to be misused. It's not the magical whip topping we put on the end of our prayer so that God answers us, right? It's the name above all names. And the religious leaders, they they were not interested in hearing that name anymore. They didn't want Peter and John blaming them for killing Jesus, and they didn't want them giving Jesus the credit for doing this great sign. So they wanted to know, in whose name are you doing what you're doing? And look at how Peter responds in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to you all and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, a man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders have rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we may be saved. Extraordinary prayer focuses on Jesus. Extraordinary prayer understands that he's the source, he's the power. And that's what Peter is telling the crowds and the religious leaders. He's like, I want you guys to get this. Anything we do that's good, anything we do that's honorable, it comes from the name of Jesus. So extraordinary prayer not only focuses on Jesus, it's fueled by being with Jesus, by actually spending time with him. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training. So the original language there, it basically says they could see that these were ignorant fools. These were unlearned men. They'd not been to school. They'd not been to any kind of teaching under a rabbi. They were just simpletons, and they could see that. They could tell. I like to think it's maybe because Peter preached with a little bit of slang. You know what I'm talking about? He had an accent. He was a fisherman, right? These were good old boys. They weren't city-fied Jerusalem types, right? These were good old boys, fishermen, Peter and John. So I like to think that they still had a little bit of that, you know, uh, street hustle in them when they were preaching. And it came across to these know-it-alls that we could tell that these guys are not really smart. But look what it says. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So you could look at that meaning and say, oh, well, they look like Galileans. But I like to think there was a little bit of Jesus that rubbed off on them. That the way they carried themselves and the way they acted, there was no other way they had not been around Jesus. Verse 14, but since they could see the man who'd been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So the guy from last week's message is standing right with Peter and John as they're being confronted. So there's no denying this guy who couldn't walk, he's obviously walking. 
Verse 15, so they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and they conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them to never again speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? I love that. They didn't even care about the guy being healed. They're like, listen, we don't care if you heal. Just stop saying you're doing it in Jesus' name. We don't care if you gather and talk to people. Just stop gathering in Jesus' name. Just stop preaching in Jesus' name. Just stop teaching in Jesus' name. And I'm telling you, if you want to suck the life out of a church, you want to suck the life out of your faith, just take Jesus out of it. We just be a bunch of good people gathering in the name of some generic God, you'll be powerless. You might have a good time, but you'll be powerless. Just try to live on your own, doing your own work, trying to obey all the rules on your own, in your own power, trying to be kind in your own strength. And I'm telling you, it won't lead to life change. There's a reason these religious leaders didn't want the name of Jesus spoken. It's because they knew everything changes when you mention, when you bring his name into the conversation. So they told them, hey, stop talking about Jesus. We don't care what you do. Just don't do it in Jesus's name. And we absolutely live in a culture in a time that wants to tell us the same thing. Gather, do whatever you're going to do. Be nice. Just whatever you do, don't do it in Jesus' name. We have to remember our extraordinary prayer is going to flow from being with Jesus. And so I love Peter's response. He's like, should we obey God rather than you? Verse 20, I love it. We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard or witnessing, basically. We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for 40 years. The religious leaders could tell Peter and John they have been with Jesus. There's an author, Scott Jathani, he said there are four postures that Christians can take when it comes to our relationship with God. Four postures. There's life from Jesus. So it's basically, I'm interested in what Jesus can do for me, but I don't really have a lot of time for him. So I'm interested in what I can take from Jesus, but not so much interested in what I can give. There's life over Jesus. So the mystery and wonder of life is lost because of our dependence on our proven formulas, our proven strategies. This is the kind of person who will strategize and think and then pray later. We're used to figuring it out. So we have this life over Jesus. He's secondary. You know, the ones we wake up in the morning and say, hey, God, we're going for a walk. Do you want to come? Rather than, hey, God, what would you have me do today? It's life over Jesus. Then there is life for God. So life is all about I want to do what God wants me to do, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to honor God. And then there's life under God. And I hope none of you are in this posture, life under God, meaning I have to do the right thing or God's going to punish me. So I do right, God blesses me. I do wrong, God curses me. We don't want to live in that kind of rules-based system because that's not what the grace of God is about. When you look at the scripture, there's a fifth posture that God desires the most, and Peter and John had it, and that's life with Jesus. Life with him, a journey, doing life with him. The religious leaders, they recognize the presence of Jesus. And my prayer for you would be that people would see you and know 
you look like you have been with Jesus. Extraordinary prayer. It's fueled by being with Jesus. And then finally, extraordinary prayer expects an answer. Extraordinary prayer expects an answer. Let's finish this story. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. And when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. And here is the actual extraordinary prayer that they prayed. They said this, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why are the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Expectations. Great expectations. They expected that God was going to answer. And look at what they prayed. They didn't pray for safety. They didn't pray to get out of that jam. Many of us, if we were there, we would have said, Lord, if you would just get me out of this predicament. Or we would have said, hey, God, would you strike down those Pharisees? Would you kill those enemies? Would you get rid of them? But they didn't pray that, right? They didn't pray for God to get away, to, to do away with the problem. And they didn't pray for God to, to put some hedge of protection around. Hedge of protection is kind of Christian language for God protect me. Why would you ask God to put a bush around you? Like if he's going to, God, bring like some M1 Abrams tanks around me. Like pray an Apache helicopter around you. Why would you pray for some grass to grow? I don't know. Anyway, I'm sorry. I got off there. They prayed for boldness to preach. So their enemies told them, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And guess what they prayed for? God, give us more boldness to preach. They did a miracle and saw this man healed. And so they asked for more miracles. God, stretch out your healing power. May miraculous signs be done in your name. They prayed expecting that God was going to answer their prayers. But expectations are not demands. God is God and we are not. And so I think it's always a wrong posture to demand that God do anything for us. When I hear people pray demanding that God do things, I want to step away from that because I don't want to demand the guy who controls the lightning to do anything for me, right? Like, no, I think I'm going to, I'm going to ask, I'm going to believe, I'm going to come boldly, I'm going to be confident. But, uh, Last time one of my children demanded something to me, you can ask them how that went for them, right? God is God and he loves us, but he's still God. You with me? He's, he's still someone we love and we, we honor and we respect. And so we ask boldly and we ask expecting, but we don't demand things. But we should expect an answer. Have you, have you ever prayed a prayer and not expected an answer? Years ago, I went on a hospital visitation uh, here locally. A uh, family, their loved one was dealing with emphysema, had been unresponsive, had some lung failure, and they were basically counting down the days. He's not going to make it. So they asked for one of the pastors to come and pray. And so uh, I went 
and prayed with the family, kind of my duty, went and showed up, knocked on the hospital door, and met with the family, talked with them. And then I prayed uh, over this man laying there in the hospital bed. And I would love to tell you, man, that God showed up and the room shook, but it was the most raggedy prayer I probably ever prayed in my life, right? I, was, I Honestly, I just was going through the motions like, God, give them comfort and give them help, and God, you're good, and you're awesome, and you're great. You know, all those adjective-filled prayers that you're really saying nothing. You're just describing things. You know, that was one of those just flat, let me just go in here and get this through. I'm just doing this for the people. At the time, I didn't think that, but I know, honestly, if I'm honest, that's kind of where I was, just kind of going through the motions of the prayer. But guess who wasn't going through the motions? That family. They'd called for a pastor to come, and they really wanted God to do something great, and they really wanted to see God intervene and help and give them a couple of more days with their loved one, and they really believed. So we prayed our prayer, said our amen in Jesus' name, and I went back and was just talking with the family, and all of a sudden, we hear some coughing, and we look over at the bed, and this man who was unresponsive for like a week has his eyes wide open and is trying to talk. While he's got tubes in and he's, you know, probably thirsty, I would imagine, right? Wanted to talk. This family had some extended time, weeks and weeks this man lived, responsive, and he wasn't responsive because God showed up. And I like to think that the greatest lesson I learned from that is when I pray to the God of heaven and earth, it might help if I actually expect him to do what the God of heaven and earth does, which is the miraculous. I, I, I was completely humbled in that situation. And I realized, God, you healed him and I didn't even think you were going to do it. Imagine what you would do if I actually believed that you were going to hear my prayers. My car was messed up once and I had no way to fix it, no idea what to do and pray, God, my, my famous prayer, right? Lord, help me. God, help me in this situation. I don't know what to do. And a friend of mine ended up calling me. A man named Nelson Rivas called me. Hey, what's up, buddy? We started talking shop. Nelson's an all-world mechanic, and he helped me with my car and didn't even know what I was doing. But right at the right time, at the right moment, I don't think that was a coincidence at all that he showed up and he helped me. I used to be a young adults pastor years ago, college pastor, and I had two students that they were just kind of going the wrong way. I lost contact with them, hadn't talked to them in a while, and they were just kind of on my heart. So I just took a moment and prayed for them. God, help them wherever they are, whatever they're doing. And within 30 minutes of me praying that prayer, they called me unsolicited, called me, and I was able to talk with them. Listen, you might think I'm out of my mind. I am not some snake handling bumpkin sitting up here. You know what I'm talking about? I am a published researcher, Ph.D., man of science. That's me, right? I am not this guy trying to sell you something. I'm telling you, there's power when we pray. There's power when we talk to God, when we expect God to actually show up. If you've ever prayed for God to save you, so you've said, God, I'm sorry for living my own life. Forgive me. Heal me of my sins. If you've ever prayed a prayer like that, you call yourself a Christ follower, right? So if you can believe that the God of heaven and earth can save you from the greatest problem you've ever had, which is your sinfulness, why would you not believe that God could make the phone ring, that God could take care of your car problem, that God could actually heal someone who's sick? It's the same power that saves us, works in everything we do. Extraordinary prayer expects to be answered. Answer might not come the way we want it, right? Answer might not come in our time, but he does hear us. It's powerful. And now for the rest of the story, look at verse 31. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. And all the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. 
So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. Powerful, powerful story. And notice what happened. They prayed an extraordinary prayer, and what did God do? God answered their prayer. They said, God, give us boldness to preach your word. And look at verse 31. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. The room shook. And then they preached the word with what? Boldness. They prayed for God to do mighty healing and do mighty miracles in his name. And look what happened. They were all united in heart and mind. And they shared everything they had. I don't know about you, but getting a bunch of Christians to get along, that's a miracle, right? Like God really showed up. They were all in one mind, one heart. They shared their possessions. But in the seriousness, God used them to bring healing. And they said, God, let us do great miracles in your name. And it says the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. God's great blessing was upon them all because of one extraordinary prayer. Do you need something like big to happen in your life? You're dealing with a jam. You're dealing with a struggle. You're dealing, whatever it is, I'm just telling you, if you need peace, do you need God to help you? I would encourage you to start where these apostles started. Make your extraordinary prayers about other people. Not about your comfort, not about your peace, but about others. They prayed for boldness so that people could know about Jesus. They prayed for healing. They prayed for miracles. Christianity, when it's at its best, is not about these stereotypes we read. It's about people actually living out the heart of God by deciding that I'm going to share God with boldness, I'm going to share Jesus with boldness, I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to be generous, I'm going to pray extraordinarily. So what do we do with this? First, we need to practice thankfulness, especially in extreme circumstances. Practice thankfulness. When I'm thankful, it puts me in a good place to see what God is up to. Thankfulness will draw me to prayer, especially in an extreme circumstance where everything seems to be going wrong. If I default to thankfulness, I'm usually going to default to looking at God and what he's done for me, and it's going to keep my head in the right place when it's time to deal with the trial. We got some of the remnants here of the hurricane in Clarksville. Some of us lost power, right? Had power go out. I lost power for about four or five hours. Didn't get any sleep. And every time I wanted to complain, I just remembered my house isn't flooded. My roof didn't cave in. My kids are, I know where my kids are. They're alive and well. My car isn't flooded. My friend, my phone's not blowing up with people who are panicking, going through hard times. This is not comfortable, but it could be a lot worse. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for protecting me. Right? All of us have that. Whatever it is you face, there's one situation that could always be worse, right? We could be dead. So when you're struggling to find thankfulness, could you just take a deep breath and blow it out? And say, thank you, Lord, that I could do that. As long as I can do that, I don't have a reason to complain, right? As long as I could do that, I can remember, God, that you're good and that you're for me. So practice thankfulness. Second thing is get to know Jesus by spending time with him. Get to know Jesus. This week, get to know Jesus. That's the greatest compliment the apostles were almost were ever paid. These men look like they've been with Jesus. If you want people to say the same thing about you, you kind of have to be with Jesus. So how do I do that? Spend time in his word. Spend time with his people. Practice the presence of God. He says in his word that he never leaves us, he never forsakes us, that he'll be with us until the very end. So I want to practice that presence. Everywhere I go, I'm aware God is with me. And then finally, have great expectations. Have great expectations. Selfless, others-focused expectations that God's going to hear me, God's going to answer me, not to bring me glory, 
but so that other people can be blessed because of my prayer, because of my life. My prayer is that when we gather as one church, we would always show up believing God to do great things, something real, something powerful in us and through us. God honors extraordinary prayers because extraordinary prayer honors God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the power of your word to save us to make us whole. I pray if there's a person in this room, God, who's not said yes to you yet, this would be the moment. They would stop trying to do it on their own, and they would pray the most extraordinary prayer. God, save me. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to follow you. And I know, God, when they pray that prayer right where they are, you show up and do the miraculous, and you save. Help us, your people, one church, as we go about our week this week, to trust in you with all of our heart, And God, to come to you boldly, expecting your grace and your mercy that you promise, expecting you to do great things in us. Let us not treat talking to you as some last resort, God, but let prayer, your praise, let it be on our lips all the time. Let us trust in you because we know that you hear us. You're big, you're awesome, you care, and God, you show up. Thank you for your grace in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. All right, OneChurch.tv, thank you so much for connecting with us. Go be the church.